where's your attention fixed? Where's your focus? Where are you looking? Last weekend, uh, I was enjoying the British Grand Prix. I'm a fan of Formula One, and it was a rare treat that the Grand Prix would be live on Channel 4 rather than having to catch highlights several hours later. As it happened, Charlotte was in the room with me and she started watching the Grand Prix uh, along with me, not something that she normally does. Now, maybe five, ten seconds into the race, the camera was uh, looking down uh, just after turn one and we saw a couple of really nice manoeuvres. We saw Hamilton overtaking several people. We saw Verstappen having pierced signs into the first corner and snabbing the lead off the line. Um, but Charlotte screamed. Charlotte yelped. Charlotte cried out, he's upside down. I didn't have a clue what she was talking about. You see, my focus, my attention was on all that was happening at the front of the race, the first four or five or six cars, whereas her attention had been drawn to the back of the pack, to the rest of the field, to the sparks that were flying as a car turned over on its head, skidded along the racetrack. Our attention, even though we were looking at the same thing, was drawn in two very different directions. And today's passage has a lot to do with our attention, where our gaze is fixed in our lives in any given moment, what it is actually that we're hoping to see, what we're intending to see. My gaze in the Formula One had been drawn to the front because I wanted to know about that battle. Charlotte, unaware of which cars she should have been paying attention to, caught the dramatic detail of that spectacular crash at turn one. So we're going to read this morning Acts chapter 3 and what follows from last week and the miraculous healing that Peter and John were part of. In Acts chapter 3 verse 11 we read this. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place where Sol called Solomon's colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate. Though he had decided to let him go, you disowned the Holy Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know has been made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now then, you fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and the times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up from you a prophet like me, from among your own people. 
you must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel and all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on the earth will be blessed. And when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So the story begins with this man clinging to Peter and John. This man who had been unable to walk from birth, now miraculously healed in Jesus' name. Imagine the scene. Imagine the excitement. Imagine the amazement and wonder. It says here that all of the people were astonished and came rushing over to that place. It was a bit like Pentecost. Pentecost that we've been thinking about for the last couple of weeks before John took us into chapter 3. There was something wonderful to be witnessed. There was something truly miraculous in front of people's eyes. And just like Pentecost, the crowd was filled with astonishment, but also ignorance. They didn't know what was going on. They knew that something wonderful was happening, but they wanted to know the details. They wanted to find out the nitty gritty. They wanted presumably to find out something about Peter and John, these two through whom this wonderful thing had happened. I mean, if you were in that crowd, you'd really want to find out more, wouldn't you? You'd perhaps want to go more to the man to find out what change had taken place in him, or you'd want to go and get the microphone and stick it in front of Peter and John and find out all about them and their history and their ways of life. But just as with Pentecost, Peter takes this opportunity to move on from the miracle, from the ones he and John beside him who seem fantastic, and to shift everyone's attention, everyone's focus to the true source of all that was going on, to Jesus. Peter saw this. He said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness has made this man walk? Don't look to us. Don't look to this man. Instead, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. This has something to do with the one we call Jesus. Jesus, who... In Peter's estimation, the crowd thought very little of. Their thoughts on Jesus were he was someone to be tossed aside. Four different ways here he describes them rejecting Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. You asked for a murderer to be returned back to you in his place. And then this most wonderful expression, verse 15, you killed the author, the source, the fountain of life. You see, this crowd, amazed as they were with a miracle, interested as they were in Peter and John through whom this miracle had come, they thought very little of Jesus. They thought very little of the man who had died and risen and had ascended to heaven, who God had glorified and vindicated. 
They thought so little of him, they were happy to hand him over to death. And so Peter wants them in this moment, with such a wonderful thing in front of them, to have their attention turned once again to him. Turned back to the one that they had so readily and easily dismissed. But it's not just what they thought about Jesus that is important to Peter. It's not just what the crowd had assumed about Jesus, that he was disposable, that he was useless, that he was just a mere man of no note, of no importance. But what Peter says, God thought of Jesus. And we read in Peter's sermon about God vindicating Jesus. God glorifying his servant, it says in verse 13. Verse 15, the one who you killed, God has raised from the dead. Just consider the contrast there. That's how we treated him, says Peter, in his, in his own confession as much as anything. That's how this crowd, this mob of people treated Jesus. That's how we all en masse have treated Jesus. Casting him aside, thinking him of no value, of no substance, of no importance. Thinking him someone who is entirely disposable. But what does God the Father think of Jesus? He is one who is worth lifting up. He is worth. He is one who is worth raising up to new life. He is one who is worth uh, lifting to the highest of heavens. We are witnesses of what has gone on with Jesus, Peter says. And by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know has been made strong. If you didn't catch me at the back, verse 16, he goes on. It's in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed this man. And now all of you can see it. Where is the attention? Where is the focus? Where do those sparks at the back of the picture, near the back of the the grid, where do they lead us to look? Peter thinks it's worthwhile that even in the midst of something wonderful and miraculous, we not get lost, but we would see Jesus. We wouldn't get distracted by other things that we may be more interested in, other things that we may be more drawn towards, other things that we might already have decided are more important, but our gaze would be lifted up and we would see the one through whom this miracle has come. Verse 12, as Peter began, he asked this question, why does this surprise you? I wonder whether with a bit of poetic license that Peter asks that question because, duh, obviously we don't see crippled people, lame people being healed, fully restored every single day. That's why it amazes us. That's why we want to know what's going on. Why does it surprise you? Why do you stare at us? Peter actually thinks they should be expecting exactly this. Expecting it for two reasons. Number one, it's the sort of happening that God has been promising from days of old. Throughout his sermon, he's keen to link back to the the comings and the goings and the sayings and the prophecies of some of those old saints. Of how God is one who knew what would happen and has promised to restore things. 
The people should have been expecting God to show up and to do something to start sorting out the brokenness that exists all around us. On one hand, why does it surprise you? Number two, because they know what's happened with Jesus. They knew who Jesus claimed to be. They were aware of the things that had occurred in Jerusalem some 40 days earlier. They knew that. Peter was saying you should be able to put the two and two together and turn up to the temple this morning and expect to see lives changed, lives transformed because God always said he would and Jesus came to do it. See, in Peter's mind, it makes perfect sense. This is a world in which the Redeemer, the Rescuer, the Restorer has come and is about the work of redeeming, rescuing and restoring. But they were surprised. We are surprised because we're still stuck in our rejecting of Jesus. Or if not rejecting him outright, ignoring him and forgetting him and his power and his life day to day. So Peter says, do you know what you need to do? You need to turn your eyes to Jesus. You need to repent. This is the second miraculous occasion already in the book of Acts. Get used to that. The spirit has come and amazing things happen in God's people when that is true. This is the second miraculous occasion. It's the second time that Peter has taken the opportunity of the miraculous to stand up and to declare the truth about Jesus. And it's the second time that he's called for repentance, for people to leave their old lives behind them and to come to Jesus. If I might say it like this this morning, to stop looking down at themselves or around at each other and to look up to him, to look in his direction. Where is your attention? Do you know, so much in our lives wants to rob our focus, wants to rob our attention. Even us, ourselves, we want to be looking inwards, looking down, concerned only with us in a moment. Jesus is that invitation to look elsewhere, to look up and to see something bigger and better than we would ever find elsewhere. Peter says, if you do repent, if you do turn from your old life and trust in Jesus, if you do stop looking down or around and you start looking up, well then here's the fruit for you. Your sins, he says, will be forgiven. They will be wiped away. They will be erased, is the language that he uses. Cleansed, set on the path to restoration. But it's not just the removal of the filthy, he says, there's the dressing of the beautiful and the, the fresh. Times of refreshing may come from the Lord. The addition, Christ, the Christian life is to know God's nearness day by day by day, to be upheld and to be loved. And if we repent and turn and, and look to Jesus to be a part of and anticipate what Jesus is achieving in the longer term, the promised restoration of all things. Heaven must receive him, Jesus, until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Where is your attention? Are you being distracted? Is your gaze being 
kept from Jesus or turned from Jesus are some of the good things, the wonderful things, the miraculous things that God is doing in and amongst us as his people here in Amford, distracting you from the true centre of attention, Jesus, the risen Lord. Have you just put Jesus as someone who can be disregarded, someone who can be deleted from your life, someone who you needn't give a second thought to? Peter says, when we come, when we see Jesus, we can be forgiven, we can be refreshed, and we can be a part of the restoration of all things. So what does that mean for us this morning then? Well, let me just say two very quick things. Number one, so often we speak about wanting to be like the early church, don't we, brothers and sisters? That the church has lost its way, that what we do bears no resemblance to the original followers of Christ. I think it's a wonderful desire to have, a great goal to want to be like these first disciples, these people who had walked and talked with Jesus, these people who received the Spirit in a miraculous way and knew its transforming power in their lives. That's great. We want to be like the early church, but here's what we see from the early church, is that they lived extraordinary lives, extraordinary lives in the power of the given spirit of Jesus. And having lived those lives which are utterly different than the lives around them, they were so keen to explain the source of that otherworldliness of their lives to those who needed to hear it. Peter's question, you know, why should this surprise me, surprise you? Let me fill you in. Brothers and sisters, if we want to be like the early church, then our lives need to shock people around us. Our lives need to look miraculous, perhaps with healing, perhaps with generosity and care and concern and compassion, thanksgiving and gratefulness. Fruit of the Spirit in the lives of us as individual and us as a church. We need to be living lives which shock and surprise and astonish those around us. And then we need to be bold enough and brave enough to ask the question, well, why does that surprise you? Since Jesus. Why are you shocked that this is happening given Jesus Christ? If we want to be like the early church, then we need to be pursuing, we need to be... um, desiring we need to be walking in these extraordinary ways and explaining Jesus to those who are um, intrigued by those extraordinary ways. That's the first one. The second thing I want to say before we close is we also need to be the sort of people who look out for Jesus in all manner of distractions that surround us, sometimes even the things that he is doing in our lives, weird and wonderful and strange and special goings on, these things can rob us, rob our focus. Even we as God's people can take our eyes off him. We need to be, we need to learn to be a people who can step back to see the bigger picture. That will make us a more grateful people. We've been considering this in my rooted group this week about how it's not just the gospel, Jesus' death and resurrection for our forgiveness that we should be thankful for. But there are all manner of things in our lives that if we step back and we see there, if not for God's grace, if not for Jesus, God's love for us through him, it wouldn't be. 
and it will transform us into a into a, a happier a more joyful and more at peace people who give thanks in all circumstances as paul says we need to be the sort of people who can step back and see the miracle see the men see our lives for what they are as gifts because of jesus we need to be on the lookout for jesus not just waiting to get slapped in the back of the head by him and have our attention brought back. We need to be on the lookout for Jesus. So where is your attention? Who is it that's filling your gaze? Are you keener on the details, on the minutiae, on the, the intricate workings and the how-tos and the where's and the why-for's? Or are you like Peter, stood back and saying, how on earth is this a surprise to any of us? Because of Jesus. Because we know him. We know what he has done. We know what difference that should make in our lives. We know that difference that will make in our world. Of course this is how life should be. Extraordinary, transformed lives. Which invite others to come and to ask and to see Jesus for themselves. What a wonderful dis uh, example from the early church. And what a wonderful um picture and a pattern for us to pursue as a church today in Hanford. Amen.